This episode of Bobby and Jens is sponsored by Hammerhead Karoo 2. Jens, I know we just got these in and I'm starting to play around with it and I'm quite impressed. How are you liking? I do like them a lot actually. It is easy to use and you don't really have to read the manual to understand how it works. It all comes kind of like self-explaining. That's a big plus, a bonus for me. So yes, I do like it a lot. Well, we know that you're not the biggest fan of numbers, but I am. And I love the size of the screen. And my most favorite thing is the exclusive climber with predictive path technology feature. You know, you don't download every single route when you're out there riding, but with this technology, you can actually see the climb coming up and know how far it is to the top, know the, the gradient that you have to deal with. And, and I love that. So all my Strava data can go straight uploaded and I can share it with the entire world. Well, for a limited time, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of the Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code BobbyYens22, all uppercase, at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code BobbyYens22. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Caro 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use the promo code BobbyYens22 today. It's always tricky being a Neopro on any team, let alone Team CSE back in its heyday. But this kid impressed us from day one and basically kicked down the door at our CSC survival slash team building camp in Denmark in December in 2004 prior to the 2005 season. Right away, we were drawn to him and wanted to make sure that he had an easy transition into the team. Probably one of the coolest cats in the world of professional cycling, a great one-day rider during his long 16-year career, a gifted musician, and now a DS at EF Education Easy Post. Hope you enjoy our chat with Matty Breschel. Welcome, Matty Breschel, to Bobby and Jens. Thank you very much, Bobby. Oh man, it's, this is going to be so much fun catching up with you, Matty. Uh, where, where are you at the moment? So I'm in uh, Copenhagen now, where I live. Um, we moved back a couple of years ago um, after I stopped my career. I used to live in Italy. Um, and yeah, we just decided to move back home. Uh, so Copenhagen, it is. Well, isn't that like amongst the most expensive cities in the world? Yeah. I mean, it's lovely. We spent a few weekends there on a holiday trip with the kids and the wife. But, oh man, they take it from the living oh, there, they don't do. they? Uh, they do. It's an expense, expensive area, definitely. Wow. Yeah, I think if I lived uh, 200 kilometers west of Copenhagen, I could basically live in a castle. But uh, it's a regular, shitty old house. 100 years old, I think. So, yeah. But, yeah, I'm downtown Copenhagen, so. Oh, Matty B. Doesn't get much better than that. Matty no, exactly. B in downtown Copenhagen? Look out, look out. <laughs> but, but hey, man, before we started talking about cycling and stuff, um, 
Are you doing anything with that amazing musical talent that you have? Um, and to those of you who don't know, Maddie is quite the musician. Um, actually, I am. Um, so I kind of, after I stopped my career, picked up the guitar again and actually started playing a lot, uh, rehearsing, trying to make um, like my own songs. I got the band back together uh, with the national coach. Anders Lund, your guy's old teammate also, and uh, Chris Jewel Jensen on drums. Um, and he's obviously still racing, so he doesn't have a, a whole lot of time, but but we, we're still playing every now and then. And um, actually, next week I'm recording, so I'm, a, I'm like a guest musician on, uh, on, on a Danish band's new album, um, Power Solo, they're called a Danish uh, rock and roll band. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, uh, so, yeah, smelling a little bit of that old boy dream I had besides cycling. So, that's um, fun. Medi, we are, we are a podcast. So, if you have any sound files, they are free to use. <laughs> Send them over and we add them into this podcast so people can actually listen to your music and what kind of music um, you do. Yeah, yeah. You could even make For us sure. a new theme song, you know, some sort of like riff, you know, to intro and outro the podcast. Maddie, we'll, we'll get you on. We'll get you on the uh, at Bobby and Yen stipend, which is you know, maybe not the. <laughs> the most money in the world but yeah man i will uh, never forget the first day or you know when i first met you and we were at the survival camp up there in in denmark on that military base with bs christensen and after everything was done this neopro kid maddie breschel all of a sudden just kicks the door down and starts playing like live guitar in front of us which was like the coolest thing i had ever seen a neopro do <laughs> do you do you remember doing that yeah 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 i also remember bjarne telling me that i had to be more humble <laughs> oh. so you you yeah, had me right then I, and there i was like man i'm taking care of this kid he's way too cool got to make sure that he transitions into the pro peloton easier but you know that that's a, a tough thing to do right like you came on to csc in the glory days like i mean it was a big mm. team we had big riders and the thing i liked about you was that you were just a cool cat you know mm. you passed the the survival uh camp portion of it you passed the initiation which we won't go into details what that is but uh let's just say it does involve um you know your your weird <laughs> danish schnapps up there that you guys drink during you know around the holidays But man, when you when you perform like that in front of everyone, it was like, okay, he's part of the squad. He's in. Mm. Well, yeah, obviously, I was really nervous getting uh, getting in that big team and with all you guys. Um, you know, I was uh, excited, but but also very nervous. But I did feel from day one that we were. I mean. I don't know about one big family, but like there was some kind of connection and, and a friendship um, between all of us. Um, so yeah, it was actually quite easy to, yeah, turn pro on CSC back then. I also believe the survival camps, or like Bjarne used to call them, team building camps, I believe they help to break down barriers in between older and younger. Mm -hmm. 
the staff, the writers. I think they really did achieve the purpose to get us all closer together. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, it was really, it was three, four, five hard, really hard days um, where, you know, we didn't get any food and uh, like any sleep or anything. Afterwards, you know, it, it, everything ended up in, in the bar. You know, we were we were drinking together and having fun. And this this was off season, of course, uh, so we we could get away with it. But we did create some kind of a bond back then, friendship. You know, hundred percent that that we brought Absolutely. we brought to the road, and I think that affected on some of the results we made, also hundred percent. But other than a great cyclist and a musician. Tell us a little bit about when you were super young and you came over here as a model in the USA. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, um, I was doing a bit of modeling here in, in Denmark, uh, just to get a bit of money for, you know, this old, this, this new Campagnolo, uh, group set or new tires, maybe a training camp, um, so, but, but then the, the agency asked me if I wanted to go to New York. Um, and, you know, I said, yes, of course. Um, this was off season also. Um, my parents said yes, which I don't really understand. I was 16 years old. Um, but I went over there for, I think, three weeks, a couple of times, a couple, couple of years. Um, went over and, yeah tried my luck um but i think i was lucky the first couple of days i was in new york to get a job and it was well paid i think i had what the first time i was there three thousand dollars cool cash you know 16 17 here so <laughs> i spent every every dime on you know king size sneakers and you know pizza slices that so big i've never seen them so big before you know so i gained probably for the first time in my life, uh, four or five kilos. And I ended up didn't, didn't get any jobs afterwards. <laughs> so, but it was a fun period. So, Maddie, what, what was the first, your love for the music or your passion for cycling? What did you discover first? Good question. Um, I, I think cycling, actually, I was only around 10 years old. Um, or maybe even younger, when I found out my dad was an old bike rider. Um, he was the generation of Bjarne and Brian Holm, Skippy, those guys. Um, but obviously he had, to, he had to stop his career because I think he was only 19 when he got me. And there wasn't a lot of money in, in being a professional. And I think he had a offer from a semi professional team in France but anyway you know I, we, we were you know cycling was a big part of the family so it, it came almost by itself and then later on when I when I became a teenager you know we started to listening to you know punk rock and roll stuff like that I was hanging out with some of the cool guys there and yeah that's kind of where the whole music thing started when I was what 15 years old so other than your dad's influence, was it always cycling or did you play other sports when you were younger? I played soccer for a while and 
you know, table tennis, um, karate, stuff like that. But it, no, it was always cycling. I wanted to be a professional cyclist from day one. That's so I was I was dreaming a lot, you know. So you did try a few sports. Um, I guess that's what most kids do, right? Try a little bit of this, of that. Sometimes you don't last as long. And was it hard for you to go, nah, I'm not good at it or I don't like it? Or did you quickly quickly realize, nah, I'm not good at karate or I'm not good at soccer or you always f fall back on cycling? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just didn't get football or soccer. Um, I was playing and... I can't remember what age it is, but when we started using offside, offside, I didn't get offside and I still don't get offside. <laughs> but that's kind of where, you know, I got the red card or whatever. The, 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 the judge threw me out after like five minutes. Um, and I was like, no, no way, man. I'm not doing this again. Um, so I was in it because it was fun. Um, but I, I was... You know, I was a bit of a loner, uh, and that's what I liked about cycling. You know, spending time on the road alone, just, you know, dreaming, crazy thoughts. So I think that's why cycling was so attractive to me. But you were more of a, like a one-day classic specialist. Uh, obviously won quite a few races. You were on the podium in the World Championships multiple times in your career. What talents or abilities did you possess in order to achieve what you achieved when you were racing? What was, what was your like main strength or even weakness? Um, I was, I was a, f a pretty fast guy uh, when we came down to a sprint in a small group. Um, I, I was good on the distance or I became good over the years on, on the distance. Uh, like these 250 kilometer rides um, and what what kind of um, so my, my my gasoline you know my you know what brought me along was was my aggressive um, way of you know racing or or at least like looking at the tactics and uh, it was also a weakness being aggressive because um, I sometimes I couldn't control my feelings um, but but definitely I, I I loved you know throwing myself into a bunch sprint or you know this big fight towards you know Quartermont or before she plays uh, those those type of races um, um, that's that's what I liked and I loved it but yeah so if If you would have a chance to send a videotape to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell Matthew Breschel 10 years younger from now? What would you tell yourself if you could? I would probably tell him to um, take a deep breath once in a while. Um, <laughs> especially the days before big race. Um, I was building up this, this energy. Um, which ended up like I couldn't sleep because I was so excited. I wanted to, I wanted to race. Um, and maybe also, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in the race. And when you stop your career, you reflect a little bit, you know, 
could I have won world championships? Probably, yeah, if I haven't, if I didn't do that, that this and that, blah, 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 you know. Um, yeah, so take a deep breath and just calm down, actually. Man, I am so surprised that you say that, you know, being nervous and, and you know, not sleeping and being aggressive because you always seemed to be one of those no stress sort of guys when you were at CSC. But then I remember when you went to Rabobank, uh, I was at a race that you were at and, and things were a little bit different. I could tell that you were stressed out a little bit. What are some of the challenges that riders have when they switch from a team where they're super comfortable in and go to a team that's maybe not what they expected? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for me, it was uh, that change from Saxobank to Rabobank um, was something that I wanted to do. Um, I thought I was ready to take that extra step and become this um, kind of a leader or captain or protected rider um, in all of the classics. But, but actually, I, it wasn't really a, my thing. Um, I kind of like being under the radar and, and be below guys like Fabian or Stewie, you know, um, so being that, you know, overall leader, everybody is looking at, um, probably, you know, brought me in a difficult position that I didn't basically like, um, and I was too, too nervous. I, I, I overdid everything, you know, these super strict diets. Um, I went on altitude camps a bit too, too much, I think, um, alone, you know, in my own crazy little world, building up way too much energy that I spent way too early instead of actually doing it in the race. I think I forgot what what it was all about, you know, you know, putting on your number and then then you perform, then you you want to win. But I think I just overdid it, basically, and I didn't really like it. So I was kind of after that searching for that thing we had on Saxobank CSC, but I never found it. <laughs> we were a unique team and everybody who was part of it will still say that until today. It was unique and it's hard to find that again. Mm. But so many, we talked about the good days, finishing podium, world championships, more stressful days. What would you think was your best day or your best moment? It, it could be a win. It doesn't have to be a win. The day where you go, wow, yeah, that I think was the best day I had on my bike. Would, would anything that comes to your mind? I think uh, it was in 2010. Um, I did a very hard uh, edition of Tirreno that year. Um, and then we went on and did Milano San Remo, and then Wadegem, Dwarstor Flandern, um, where uh, Fabian helped me, like totally made the race for me uh, that day. I will never forget. You know, it's just a small, you know, worldwide, it's just a small, you know, semi classic. Uh, but that was probably my biggest win and the best day I ever had on the bike, definitely. 
Well, you had, what, 16 years of a career, but now you are a DS. And I must admit, that kind of caught me out. Like, okay, Maddie, young little Maddie, the Maddie that I remember. Huh, that's kind of an interesting career choice. But uh, I always Mm. thought that once you hung up the wheels that you would be like a famous musician and, you know, we'd have to, um, you know, get your autograph. But now that you're a DS and what was a writer yourself what is your leadership style within the team i think i'm pretty most of the time pretty pretty loose pretty laid back um i try and keep a good connection with the writers uh i definitely always appreciated sports directors that you know came in the room sometimes and you know just talking about nothing basically like a like two two good friends um so that type of guy and then i'm still a little bit aggressive towards the tactic um you know i i i spend a lot of time thinking of how can i help those guys um where where can i exactly make a difference here um you know but if I don't. I don't hold back when whenever I get a uh, an idea or, or if I see something, you know. I don't try and filter stuff. I just I'm very direct at times, um, and I think the writers appreciate it. Instead of wrapping everything in, and then in the end of the day they have to guess what my thoughts are, you know. So. Yeah. I guess if you're out there in the fight, in the battle, you have to be clear and straightforward. And I really think people appreciate it. So at least they know exactly where you stand and where they are. But hey, more like a, a fun question now for you. You as a sport director, when you tell them, hey guys, tomorrow's the stage for us, we want to be in a break. And they are not in the break. Did you ever consider to lock the doors of the team bus and tell the riders <laughs> to go on a bike to the hotel to, to let them know how you think about it? Did you ever consider that? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, honestly, I don't think it will work today. Um, you know, we, we all had, you know, good and bad sports directors and a lot of sports directors through our system and you kind of pick and choose whatever you want of the good stuff and you try and bring it along. But, you know, being that guy who's a complete asshole or dick, you know, I don't want to be him. No, definitely. I, I rather, you know, want to take time and explain them uh, why I think they, you know, fucked up, basically. I don't know if I can say that word, but. Oh, you can say whatever word you want. We noticed that the <laughs> Danish. Uh guests do like the old curse word from time to time but you we know, do yeah so so you just kind of mentioned that you know there there have been changes and you've seen a lot of these changes but what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen now compared to when you were racing because to me it seems a lot more structured definitely it's it's way more structured than when we were racing um or when i started um you know they they the writers today they're like it's crazy they're they're like robots and and sometimes they're treated like robots they have to perform from 
basically down under until Perry Tours um, all year round. It takes so much to be a professional bike rider the, uh, um, now that um, I have a lot of respect for them because, you know, whenever they go out train, you probably, you they, they probably don't think about it, but they actually have, I don't know, 10, 15 people looking at their training files. Um, not daily, of course, but, you know, everybody can, can see them. Um, and and the races today is is it, it seems more crazy than than ever you know from kilometer zero they basically start racing and you know just not like one little break you know they, they take a piss and then two minutes after they start racing again basically it's a, it's a tough game if you want to get more out of your free time sign up to outside plus for less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine, exclusive membership content from Velenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including yoga journal, backpacker, ski, outside magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you will receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Matty. Talking about the data and the training files, I noticed that it seems to be the number one priority of every bike rider to push the button of the power device they have right at the finish line. Mm. I swear, I fucking swear to God, <laughs> we are that close that the riders stop the clock before they actually raise their arms because they won the race. Yeah. That's the impression I have, that you would rather, oh, I got to save the file right at the finish line. Oh, I won. I got to raise my arms. Yeah, but you, it's, you see it it's, every time. It's really, it's really insane. It is. It is insane. But, um, I mean, the, the, the riders, they, I think they're addicted to it and they love it. Uh, and that's, that's why they last in the game. Um, I don't think there is a lot of a, an artist left, you know. Um, who kind of ride on on their feeling a little bit like I did in the beginning. I think the first trainer was I had was you, Bobby, um, and you know that was what after like ten years of my career, basically. But I made you hit that lap button quite often. I remember, like we we did do a lot of specificity, and from from oh. what I understand now is. I asked quite a few people about why are they doing that? And the, the answer came back kind of overwhelmingly is that it's muscle memory because everything is so specific nowadays. Every guy goes out and does a set number of intervals and he has to push, you know, the button at, before the, the interval starts and then right at the end. So it must just be muscle memory because yeah, there's guys in the middle of their bike throw 
at the finish mm. hitting their button. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Don't these guys know, like you said, there's up to 15 people looking at the file, right? Don't these people know that they don't have to like push it immediately after the finish that, you know, the file's there. It's not going anywhere. No, probably not. Probably not. But I mean, they, they can't even go to the baker anymore without pushing that bottom. Um, and it's like if the power meter doesn't work, they never really trained or raced. It's like that day never existed. It's, it's, a, it's quite interesting. Uh, we, we talked to a few people about it, ex-riders, actual riders, and um, I guess you probably, myself, I don't think there would be a space for us in modern cycling. I mean, they would like our talent and they would see the engine in us. But they would go, uh, Matti, now you go to the front and you ride for seven and a half kilometers at 385 watts and then your job is done, mm. right? And you go, no, I want to sit on the wheel and then I want to attack and I want to win. Um, so I think, like you say, for people who race on instinct or guts, yeah. there's not much space anymore. And I'm not saying it's better or worse now or it was better or worse back in the days, but it's just a tremendous change, isn't it? And I guess you spent a lot of time now in your new job as a DS on a computer looking at files, planning, preparing, looking at weather data, wind directions, to prepare the finish sprint and all that, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I do spend a lot of time uh, looking at numbers and, and preparing for races. Uh, so, yeah, I basically during all that stuff, I never really found interesting when I was a rider. So, yeah. But again, you kind of have to develop, no? Absolutely. Your whole you gotta, life. You got to learn it's, something it's true. every day. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm looking at my old bike that I raced on in 2018. And it's not that long ago, but it's completely outdated. You know, cycling today is uh, all about marginal gain. And it's a bit similar to almost Formula One, you know? Oh, yeah. It I told somebody uh, recently or on one of our last podcasts about the bikes that I have in my garage. And I retired in 2008. So you can imagine that bike looks like absolutely archaic, but it was top of the line, you know, state of the art back then. But you traveled a lot when you were racing. You obviously haven't really changed much because now you have to travel a lot as a DS. How do you keep all the work, the travel, and the family li life balanced at, you know, during these long seasons now that you have a wife and, and three kids at home? Well, actually, whenever I really had any problems, like my wife is, uh, is super cool with it. Um, I think she kind of like it. And my, my kids is uh, used to it. Um, Even though they're they're young, uh, they're they're kids. Um, they never stand and and you know cry or it's just like yeah whatever. See you in three weeks. Good luck, you know. <laughs> uh, you know they, they they so that that gives me a bit of space at least and 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 comfort to kind of live the life I do uh, because I'm absolutely you know I love it. I'm, I'm also addicted to it. Um, it was a kind of, a, it was a bit frightened to, to stop my career because I knew I would, I was going to miss it. Um, you know, I was fed up with 
the training part and, and racing and everything, but I still loved cycling. Um, and I, I don't really think I could live without it. So I love my job. When my retirement came slowly across, I did talk to a lot of people because I was terrified of going into the unknown. I mean, that's for us uncharted territory, right? We all lived in that professional athlete bubble. People washed your bikes, people prepared your bikes, people explained you how long to race and then go out of that bubble. It's a big step. I was a little terrified of that as well. So I talked to people from other sports, from cycling, of like trying to avoid to fall into that famous hole after, right? Yeah. And it's good to have relatively quickly a job afterwards that keeps you busy and keeps your mind occupied, right? Or how was it with you the first three, four, five months into retirement? No, it definitely helped uh, knowing that I had to be a DS uh, the year after. Um, so this was kind of Charlie Vigilius. Uh, who who brought it up and asked me if if I actually if I even wanted it, and he spoke to JV and and they you know gave me the the opportunity to try it out uh, the year the year after. Um, but yeah, I mean, nevertheless, it, it was still not easy because for. 20 years or maybe 25 years people known me as as maddie the the bike rider and i also knew myself as the bike bike rider so there was a bit of a identity thing um what am i if i'm not a bike rider you know um so so yeah it was it was not a tough time but i i kind of gave that i would almost call it little depression um just give it space you know and, and try and work with it so i threw myself into other projects that year and you know straight after i turned ds uh covid hit so we had this long period with the lockdown and i started i was writing a book um about my career and you know play a bit of music and i started this uh cycling quiz sport game also and you know just have different projects um which also helped me definitely well you mentioned it and that was going to be one of my one of my questions tell us a little bit about the pro cycling quiz board game that you have i guess it has 2500 cycling questions kind of starting at strada bianca and, and finishing lombardia tell us tell us what you got there <clears throat> yeah so this was an idea um, i had with with a friend of mine um and we were like we, we wanted to make a a quiz game and we wanted to make a board game and this was uh during lockdown and, and board, board games uh was super popular uh during lockdown and already like always been very popular in denmark uh it's kind of a culture thing i guess i don't know but i mean we we started working on the idea of a pro cycling quiz um you know just a quiz game with a lot of questions about pro cycling. So yeah, you start in Strade Bianchi, you just go through the whole season. Um, you know, you go from Italy to Belgium, you do all the classics there and you do the Giro, Tour de France. You know, there's so many cool races and, and so many cool questions about bike riders you never even heard of. So it's a, it's not an easy game. 
you have to know you have to know stuff definitely I mean, now that I'm interested and I'm sure our listeners are as well, do you have maybe some of the questions or pieces that you could share with us real quick? I mean, we got to we got to test Yenzi's knowledge here. <laughs> well, I, w- I would think we we have three questions, one for Bobby, one for myself and one for our viewers, which we don't answer. But maybe our listeners, not viewers, sorry for that. Our listeners can answer that on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, twenty five hundred questions. Just give us three. Pick, pick random in that little box of yours. I imagine it's like Trivial Pursuit or something like that. Let's uh, let's hit it. All right, all right. Uh, a question. This this is an international question, so this can come from kind of basically anywhere. Um. Which writer formerly of Team Scan, Kofidis, and CSC was nicknamed Freckle? Oh, that's that's easy. Easy. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave that to our listeners. They can work it out. <laughs> Good question. Okay. Love it. Um, what about uh, who won the bronze medal at World Championships Road Race 2021? Gosh, that was just last year. That was last year. Uh, Alain Philippe won. Um, Carapaz won Olympics. You got me. Um, sorry to say, who 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 was that? Uh, a Dane, Michael Valgren. Michael Valgren. Uh, oh my gosh, we yeah, had him on the podcast recently. Of course, in that sprint there in Belgium. Yes. Okay, one more. Um, one more. Okay, um, you guys are ready? Yes. Um, who won Paris-Roubaix in 2003, the same year he also won Tour of Flanders? I can give you a little hint. Was He's that a Belgian Peter guy? Again? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> not that many guys that won Roubaix and, and Flanders back-to-back, and that was a little bit earlier than when Fabian did it and Boonen did it. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. It was before them, too. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, hey, yeah. I, you know, we definitely got to get this game. It sounds like a lot of fun. But now, now I just got to talk about Denmark. I mean, I asked this question to, to Magnus Court during the, the, the bicycle race here in the USA last weekend called the Maryland Cycling Classic when we were doing the, the team presentation. Um, you guys are in a renaissance right now. I mean, you got... Cecile Ultrup Ludwig, you know, winning stages in the women's tour. You got Jonas Venogo winning the tour. You got Mads Pedersen winning multiple stages in, in the tour of Spain. And there's many, many, many other riders, both men and women, that are doing fantastic. So I, I'm going to ask you the question that I asked him. What are you guys eating for breakfast or what is in your drinking water up there in Denmark that has allowed so many riders? I mean, you have always had good riders, but it just seems like recently they're just everywhere. Yeah, it, it is insane. It, it's crazy to see. And, and I'm, I'm super proud also to have so many Danes on the world tour. Um, I, I think it, it comes from, you know, it of course starts in, in the local cycling clubs and we have a lot and we have a lot of uh, people who, who who's just in it to help. They love cycling. They work, they do it for free. Um, 
you know, and we have a good program, you know, a lot of nice races every weekend for for kids. Um, juniors, we have a lot of nice teams, uh, a lot of people also who's just prepared to do anything for those guys. Um, and we have a lot of people with knowledge also about, you know, how to behave and live like a, a pro while you're actually being a human being and have time to educate yourself and stuff like that. Um, and then we just have massive talent. Uh, the Federation is doing a great job also, really taking care of the young, the young girls and, and, and boys. So um, remind me again, how many people live in Denmark? Four and a half million? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, five and a half, six million. So you, your federation must be doing a pretty good job in filtering, you know, the talent, finding them. Because, um, look, the U.S. got 320 million people, Germany 82 million people. But it looks like Denmark got more talent combined than our two countries together. So you guys must be doing something right up there in Denmark right now. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um If it's the fresh air or the oatmeal in the morning or, you know, or just people, you know, who want to support, you know, they're, they're never left alone. And, you know, even though, you know, it can be, cycling can be difficult. It's an expensive sport. And, you know, I had to rely a lot on my parents, for example, when, when I was a kid. But now I, I have the feeling like uh, the cycling clubs do a lot more um for the kids and and try and, and help them and try and keep helping them uh, until they get older and then you know you have these um junior teams who's really organized really professional you know in a way you know they get a bike for free and and a good solid program and the the, the again the federation they they keep sending juniors And under 23s to, you know, Germany, Holland, France, Italy. Uh, so they have a nice international program also where they get a little bit of hair on the chest. Um, yeah. Maybe it is just a sign or a mirror of society. Maybe you have a healthy good society where people like to support each other and uh, maybe other societies countries you know they go nah I just have to look out for myself first you know and like you mentioned people they do it for free they go look I just want to help I don't need payment I just you know watch the kids and make sure they are safe when they are training maybe it's just that uh, your country Denmark people are stick together and support each other and like each other and want to help each other maybe maybe that's the key That's possible. That's possible. Maybe it's also a, a, a generation thing. Um, I was, um, I, I didn't want to help anyone when I was a kid, basically. Uh, um, and my friends didn't want to help me. I mean, we were in it for the competition and we wanted to beat each other. Uh, obviously they still want to, but yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's a society thing. Uh, Jens, I think you're right. Uh, Well, I tell you, Maddie, it has been great catching up with you. We know it's getting late over there in, in the old DK. 
Uh, obviously, keep doing what you guys are doing. All the best to you guys over at EF Education Easy Post for the rest of the season. And in just in closing, what does your schedule look like from now until the end of the year? Um, on Saturday, I go to Grand Prix for me. Uh, you remember that race? Little small French race. I think he has uh, won Grand Prix for me before. Yeah, I think so too. Medi, my friend, it was a pleasure to catch up with you and to see you actually. And I guess we will, we want to have you back next year so we can see how everything goes with your new career as a DS. And definitely we want to listen to more of your music. <laughs> Thank so thanks a million for being our guest. Thank you very much, guys. It was an honor. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Maddie for being our guest. Thanks a million for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. And please share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>